We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Pilato. Once again, we count down towards the 2020 NFL Draft. Oof, we are now almost at the 24-hour mark. We're continuing our march towards the draft with podcasts every day. We hope you've enjoyed this uh, extra content. We're, we're testing it out. Normally, we're a podcast that goes about once or twice per week. Um, it's obviously giant specific, very niche, but we're seeing how this works and we're enjoying it. So we're having fun. It's quarantine. Um, I'm on operating on very few hours of sleep. It's extremely busy for me at work. Uh, so this is kind of my vacation almost from work in a sense, because a lot of the times, even though this is work and me and Nick put a ton of work, honestly, into preparing for these podcasts at the same time, it's just fun talking to Nick about the giants and knowing that you guys enjoy this and listen, if I could talk about the Giants all day for a job, like a Bob Papa type or something like that, or those dudes over at Giants.com, count me in. It's still a dream job, like maybe down the future at some point. So I love it. This is almost uh, reaching that level for that. So it's kind of giving me a little glimpse of that. And Nick as well. I know he enjoys it as well. So Nick, how's it going right now in the middle of your quarantine from the last time I spoke to you, which was pretty pretty recently? Yeah, I was going to ask you, Dan, are you sick of me yet? Because we're seeing each other every day, and now we get to see each other's beautiful face over Skype and uh, talk about this team that we love, man. And I just can't believe the draft is finally here. I swear, whenever the draft comes, it's like 
it's a double-edged sword because on one hand, you're happy that we can finally figure out that who the Giants are going to select and it kind of all, all the work that we have put into this comes to fruition and we get to see what happens. And then <laughs> you're also kind of drained from all that work you've been doing. So you're kind of relieved that it's going to be over with, but then you're also depressed because it's going to be over with. So there's just so many mixed emotions going on, but you know, I'm just really excited. Too. Especially this year, the depression could be harder because we're not, I mean, baseball is whatever. A lot of people don't like baseball. I like baseball. I like having Mets games on in the background every night regardless of what really paying that much attention and I'm a big fantasy baseball guy so you know just looking at those box scores is fun so we would normally have that we're not going to have that we're not going to have any NBA playoffs we're not going to have and for those of you like the NHL playoffs we're not going to have that so really after the draft it's going to be a dry period the good news for us Nick is that we'll actually have some time to really dive into the tape of the players who are actually selected and I think we'll be able to provide some really interesting insights and in-depth analysis on the actual players the Giants draft how it affects the roster moving forward, and that's where I think we'll that that's where I think we we at least aim to stand out, and hopefully we will. Yeah, and I'm sure we will too. I'm really excited to see who the Giants go with if they trade back, if they can accumulate more picks, and then we can really really dive in, hone in, and even go back through some of the all 22 tapes for the Giants last year. Man, go for sure. That, that Daniel Jones really performed. For sure. On, and on today's show, we're going to do a little bit of a mixed bag of everything. We're going to have we're going to catch you up on the latest buzz on the Giants draft from the beat reporters. We'll do a little by ourselves. We believe any of that because this is the perfect time to not believe anything you read and hear about the draft. We're going to do some targets at 36 overall. Some of our favorite targets there, guys, we're hoping that the Giants can draft if they stay at 36 and guys that you guys and us can track along with during the first night of the draft saying, hope he falls, you know, keep falling, keep falling. I mean, one of them is going to be obvious. I can just drop the name right now. Zach Bond will all be hoping that he falls and falls and falls past that Patriots, past that range of like the Patriots Ravens where we just really think, uh Oh, this is where he could go. And, and don't count out the green Bay Packers, by the way, they've seen, they, they've been known to take Wisconsin guys and, Obviously, he's from there, so a native, Deer, Deer Park native. So we'll be talking about targets at 36 that we love. And then finally, we're going to do a mailbag. We haven't done a mailbag in a while, and there's still some questions left over that you guys have been asking. So let's start with the latest draft buzz, Nick. And I'm going to start up top with the one beat reporter who I trust by far the most when it comes to sources, and especially when it comes to sources regarding the NFL draft. And that's SNY's Ralph Vacchiano. Vacchiano has been on the beat for a long time, not always with SNY, but as somebody who's followed this Giants beat intently, intensely, is probably the better word, for over, well over a decade. I mean, back in high school, my dad and I were, you know, my dad's a diehard fan, our whole family's diehard fans, and we were, we've been, we've been obsessed with this team for a long time, and so Back then, he was the guy nailing picks like Jason Pierre-Paul at 15, number 15 overall. No one that year expected the Giants to draft JPP. It was kind of a surprise pick that came on late. And he was the guy who called it first by far. And he was the guy who called it in general and locked it in. And he's been... He's been by far and away the most accurate beat reporter when it comes to the NFL draft. He's the only one I will listen to. The others I take with a grain of salt. And that's no offense meant to any of those guys. They're doing their best and they're hearing things from sources that they've made along the way but those sources i think are pushing uh a narrative for their players you know driven by agents or what what or whatever it might be as far as ralph though i think he actually has some sources within the organization that he's hearing from so we'll start up top with what ralph has said nick and and most recently ralph has said a few things one 
We'll start with the fact that he said the Giants are extremely motivated, doing everything they can to trade this fourth, fourth overall pick. He also has said that the Giants will be taking an offensive tackle in round one. So what I think he's kind of getting at is this. They're going to try to trade the fourth pick, and then they're going to try to take a tackle with whatever pick they acquire. Or if they stay at four, they're going to be taking an offensive tackle. Do you buy or sell this report? I buy that report. We've talked about over the last several podcasts how the Giants, it behooved the Giants to go and select an offensive tackle to A, improve the running game, and B, and probably more importantly, protect Daniel Jones. And I think it would be the smart and wise move for Dave Gettleman, someone who spent a top two selection on a running back, something that's not common in today's NFL, and then a top six selection in a quarterback who many presume to be overdrafted. I think his best course of action to... A, make the team better, and B, make himself look smart, would be to protect both those of those assets by selecting an offensive tackle. So I buy that, and I also really do believe Gettleman wants to trade out of that fourth spot, and he's trying to leverage the two quarterbacks and see if any of those teams would be enticed to trade up to select those quarterbacks. I think he knows that he got rid of the number 68th pick for virtually, I don't want to say nothing, but it was not a wise decision by Gettleman to trade for Leonard Williams, an impending free agent on a lost season, and he did that. And I think he's looking to recoup more value to bring in more players for this team in this draft because there are holes on this roster, and he knows this is a deep draft. Not all drafts are, are always deep. It's not always like this, and this is deep at a lot of key positions, and I believe that he's really looking for a trade partner, and I know. I hear it. You've seen everybody tweet about it. Gettleman has never traded back, but that doesn't mean he's not going to here. It's not a part of his tendency, but I do believe this year is a little bit different, and I do believe that he really wants to nail this draft, and I do believe he wants to bring in those picks between 36 and 99 he wants to get picks like that to further hopefully improve this roster and land defensive players while also building that offensive line maybe getting an extra receiver getting a single high safety adding edge help all the things that dan and i have just talked about ad nauseum on this podcast yeah i mean i'm buying this one too nick because i think he's wise enough to understand the concepts and the values of two things in the draft the first is this one and it's the main one why do I hate this Leonard Williams trade so much? It's because, yeah, sure, you're not going to hit on a lot of third-round picks, but when you do, when you do hit, what you're doing is hitting on the players that lead to championship rosters. When you look at all the championship rosters across the NFL, it's consistently the teams that draft the best. And why is it the teams that draft the best? Because those teams have players on a four-year rookie contract where most of the time they won't be extended for the first three years at a minimum. And every single one of those contracts after the first round is going to be for $2 million or less against the cap every year for three years. What does that allow you to do? When you draft a core player who's one of your best players on your team and all you have to do is allocate $1 or $2 million in cap space per year, it allows you to be more aggressive in free agency in filling out your needs. And that's the blueprint. That's it. It's a tried and true blueprint. Simple as that. Now, is it helped But when you're a team that has a quarterback on a rookie contract and you have 20 extra million in salary cap space to allocate to another position of greater need? Sure, of course. Guess which team has that? 
the New York football giants right now with Daniel Jones. So you need to have all of these swings. I get the stuff that you guys, you know, the, the detractors of this Williams trade always tell me like, look at all these third round picks, but that's not the point. If you hit on one of every five third round pick or 68th overall picks, let's just say you're already getting more value than you would get for an impending free agent because of just how high that value is. So I think he's smart enough to understand he needs a pick between 36 and 99. The best way to get it is by trading that first pick and not the 36 pick. That's just how the draft value goes. Look at any new age draft value trade chart, Nick or whoever, and you'll see that the top, the value, the picks that are worth way more on the trade value chart are those top 10 picks. And the Giants have one of them. It's great to see their understanding it, at least according to Ralph's reporting. Um, and I believe this one, Nick. I'm now. My bigger issue, Nick, is who the hell is going to trade with them for that fourth pick? That doesn't seem clear to me at all, and I don't have any teams that come to mind that make any sense unless the Chargers or Dolphins do it. Really, the Chargers are the one that makes the most sense, or the like you said, the Dolphins, if they do want to, if they're scared that the Giants are going to trade the fourth pick to a team that wants to draft the quarterback that they're looking to get, whether that be Tua Tonga-Vailoa or Justin Herbert. But... After the Chargers selection, man, it, it does get dicey. Like you said in your mock, the Browns—that's an interesting one. But I, do we actually see that coming to fruition and materializing? It's—they um, need a linebacker, but they could maybe—they need a tackle too. They could possibly even sit still and wait for Isaiah Simmons to fall to them. That's something that could happen. He could fall to ten. I don't think it's too unrealistic, but yeah, no, I, it doesn't seem like there's many suitors within the top 10 which i believe is probably the furthest back that dave gettleman actually wants to go i've seen tampa bay's name floating out there i mean he, they're picking at i yeah. believe 14 but i don't know if dave gettleman wants to drop that far down because you're probably playing yourself out of the top four tackles if you do that and it makes sense for tampa they need to find a tackle to protect tom brady they're all in for this season but i think it would just be rich and i don't know what um i don't know if gettleman would want to go that route I'm curious what you think about that, Nick, because I tweeted about this earlier. Um, do you think that now, even if it, let's say even if it involves a 2021 first round pick for obviously a team like the Giants who can use as many pieces that they can get in the draft, do you think it's worth it to go to trade out of a spot where they wouldn't get one of the four OTs or Isaiah Simmons? And then I'll, I'll let you know how I feel. But first, I want to ask you how you feel about this. It would really depend on the draft hall, but I think you're playing a dangerous game if you do that because then you're really relying on the Ezra Clevelands and the Isaiah Wilsons and people who could be good tackles but need a lot of development and aren't quite there. And those prospects aren't up to the top four. There's a clear-cut top four basically on everybody's consensus board who studies the draft, including Dan and I. And there's a reason for that. It's because those four tackles either have immense upside and they have other intriguing trump cards to their game. There's a reason why they're the top four, and there's kind of a significant gap between those four and guys like Josh Jones, Cleveland, and Isaiah Wilson for uh, for that matter. So it would have to be several day two picks and a first round next year. And I don't even know if Dave Gettleman is really worried about acquiring assets for next year because he might not even be the general manager. So it would it would have to be a lot. And I don't really I don't I don't think the Giants right now to remove themselves from an opportunity to draft one of the big four or Isaiah Simmons. So I'd probably go with no. Yeah, that was the interesting question posed to me. And I almost don't see any trade that I would make that I would do it for, Nick. Um I understand the value of draft picks. I understand this kind of goes against what I've been preaching. But I also am a believer in some ways and some very key ways about what Gettleman says about I. there are always blue chip prospects in a draft. And when those blue chip prospects can also match your needs, 
I feel like that's too much value to give up. This specific draft, there are there are I wouldn't call them blue chip OTs. I'll say they're the next step down from blue chip OTs. And Wills is pretty damn close himself. Um, and obviously, Wirfs and Beckton for me are are certainly right on the fringe there. And Thomas as well. At least, I mean, from Thomas' standpoint, you're at least going to get us definitely a solid starter, which is great to have, even if you, maybe you feel like four is a reach there or whatnot. But and and then back to Simmons. You know, someone posed the question like, "I'm totally. I was totally against it because I don't think it's worth." moving out of a spot where they don't get one of these five players. Simmons or one of the four attackers. But then someone mentioned, what about, you know, they move back to 16 with Atlanta or whoever it has. I think it was Atlanta who has that pick. And they acquire Patrick Queen there. And so it's interesting. But I'm still out because Queen and Simmons to me aren't, aren't computing the same way. I know some people really like, and I love Queen. I'm one of the few people who has him as one of my 15, 20 best prospects in this draft class. But Simmons I have as my second best non-quarterback in this draft class. Like there's a different level there for me. It's a big jump. It's a big drop off for me, especially when I consider just the upside of Simmons. If like the Giants hit on Patrick Graham and Graham is a defensive coordinator who figures out how to best utilize Simmons that because Queen to me is more of I, I see what Queen can be and I love what Queen can be. But I don't think at his peak he can be anywhere close to what Simmons can offer for your defense. So for me, Nick, I just don't see a situation, you know. It'd have to be with a team that has a horrible quarterback situation where I can, you know, guarantee that they're going to be picking in the top five next year so I can get Sewell from Sewell from, I don't even know how to pronounce his name right, the, the kid from Oregon who I love to tackle. Um, but it would have to be that. But other than that, I don't know if I see a scenario. Also come down to, and there's no way for us to know this, how Dave Gettleman does value sure. the sure. likes of Prince Tegawanoga. Austin Jackson, even Matt Purr, and those players who are more than likely going to be available in the second round. So say if the Giants acquired the 37th and like, I don't know, the 60th selection, does he value one of those tackle, maybe even a Sadiq Charles in a high regard? Obviously not as high as the top four, but someone who could be developed. And then he would go and execute, maybe go with someone like Patrick Queen or even somebody else with the mid first round pick. It all depends on how he and the Giants front office value those tackles in that second to third round range and sees if they can actually be a high-end starter. But to me, it doesn't seem like at this moment they're quite there. Obviously, development is different for everybody. Everybody takes a coaching differently, uh, different situations, scenarios, what have you. But I, uh, it, it would be hard for me to look at Wills, Wirfs, Thomas, Becton, Simmons, and other jerseys, and then the Giants are just waiting at pick 16, and then you're like, oh, shit, who the hell is going to protect Daniel Jones this year and next year once Nate Solder might be released. So you right. got to think a little bit about the future too. For sure. I mean, for, without a doubt, Nick. And a little bit of breaking news here, actually, unrelated to the Giants, but some pretty crazy breaking news. It looks like the 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 Buccaneers and Patriots are on the verge of coming to terms of a trade that will send Rob Gronkowski from the Patriots and a seventh round pick to the Bucks for a fourth round pick. Pretty crazy NFL news. Gronk is back. It looks like, and all he wanted to do was play with Tom Brady. Damn. I thought he was really hitting it with the wrestling. Didn't he like win some wrestling tournament yeah. or something? He was getting deep <laughs> into the wrestling, but listen, I, I'm betting on Gronk. I don't care. I think he's going to be healthier a year off. I think that he's the thing with Gronk is he's already, People don't realize this. Even at the end of his run, which was basically the, the the back end of that Patriots career, especially the last year, he was not himself as a receiver, but he was still the best blocking tight end in football. And, and I'm one of the, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nick. No, I was going to say he's only 30 years old, but it, yeah. not to go off script here, Dan, that opens up a huge question because they have two talented tight ends on their roster right now and OJ Howard and Cameron Brate. 
Now, is the O.J. Howard hype trainer getting traded going to come back? And if so, who too? Could he be a draft day trader? That, that's, yeah, that's pretty I interesting. Yeah, be traded. I don't think they like him there, but if I'm the Bucks, I'm not even trading him. I, the thing with Howard is he's also super long and uh, a solid to above average blocker to go along with Rob Gronkowski, who like I was saying, people don't realize he was still the best blocking tight end in football, which is one of the most underrated. If you can have a fucking inline tight end these days who can block and catch, it's one of the, it's like up there for me with deep half safety uh, off ball line. These, these positions I love that the giants don't have and teams don't, the teams who do have seem to be winning games. And like, if you can find an inline guy like him, I just think if you can keep that together and Howard takes a leap forward and now you have 12 personnel with Gronk and Howard and Godwin and Evans, like you could run the football like that. You could run the football really well and have an awesome play action passing game with Gronk and Howard in line. And then God, big, big boys like Godwin and Evans just beating up corners in, in the run game. So I don't know. It's just something interesting, but either way. Really interesting, un- unrelated Giants news. Well, let's get back into some Giants talk, Nick. And I want to ask you about another buy or sell for me. And this comes from uh, beat reporter Matt Lombardo. And this also was echoed by Jordan Ronan, who said that Derek Brown is going to blow up mock drafts everywhere. And he's and he's hearing he's going to go in the top five. Matt Lombardo saying he's hearing that Derek Brown is the Giants target still, uh, trade down or not. Are you going to buy or sell this one? I'm going to sell it. I, I, I don't believe... Gettleman is, and we know Gettleman has, he'll go against the grain and he'll stick to his convictions and he'll be stubborn to a fault. But I think he's fully aware of the fact that he must protect, like, like I said earlier, his top two investments in the last two drafts and bring an offensive lineman. The offensive line was a wreck last season and Daniel Jones needs that blind side protector for the long term, And he needs somebody to protect his right side right now. I don't believe that they're going to target Derek Brown after pouring a second round pick in the Jerry Reese era to Dalvin Tomlinson, a third round pick to BJ Hill, trading a third round pick for Leonard Williams and spending a first round pick last year on Dexter Lawrence, a player that is somewhat comparable to Derek Brown. I, I just, I don't see that. If anybody, it's going to be the lions that I feel like would be interested mm. in the top five. And I know they're all over Jeffrey Akuda, but I could see, I could see that being more of a possibility. That's interesting. Yeah. The lions at, at three or even trading back to five and taking Brown, that's, possible for sure I, i'm gonna sell this one too nick i i don't i'm gonna sell it because i don't want to think about it i don't want to think <laughs> about the possibility of a world where the giants stay at four and take Derek brown in, in 24 hours from now or whenever this pot ends up dropping it's just to me it's just such a such a bad world to live in i, I the giants are gonna have really tough time becoming a winning team if they dump another pick into an interior defensive lineman. I don't care who he is. Like, if this guy ends up being Fletcher Cox, maybe. But this guy is not, to me, anywhere near a lock or even a probability to become a de- to become Fletcher Cox. And so if he just ends up being another Leonard Williams, they're just not going to win football games with, with, two, with a bunch of these guys. It's just not going to happen. They didn't win last year with Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams and B.J. Hill and Dalvin Tomlinson on one defensive line. Adding one more guy like that is not going to put them over the top. And they lost a lot of games last year, in my opinion. You know, some will blame the turnovers. They played a role. But the defense was terrible over and over and over again. And so it's not going to get too much better with the interior guys. So I'm just going to hope this one is an easy sell for me, Nick. And I 100% agree. And when it comes to Brown, like you and I have said, amazing player. But if this does happen, Dan, tune into the podcast on <laughs> <laughs> the first round breakdown podcast, because I'm sure it would be a very interesting listen. Yeah, we'll finally get to get a little heated. No more laid back, relaxed Dan and Nick. It'll be the uh, intense version of us just 
railing off on this stupid freaking GM. But hopefully that's not the case, and he'll be a smart GM. And can you imagine? I have this dream, Nick. Like it's it's it has never happened in my lifetime. They did it once actually with Jerry Reese when he traded out of thirty one. I believe, or traded out of 24 to move back with the Steelers in the first round, and they took Matthias Kiwanuka. But, like, I have this dream that the Giants will— I wake up and the Giants trade. They actually traded back. They're, like, team that doesn't trade back, a big believer in trading back. But, like, this dream is the Giants trade back, and they still land one of these four tackles, and now we have a fun day two pick to look forward to. So hopefully they'll, they'll do it. Hopefully that will be the buy, and that will be what Ralph was saying. And Ralph is— Definitely a guy I trust the most, like I said, when it comes to the Giants beat. But here's the last buy or sell for you, Nick, and this one's a fun one. Yesterday, it came out from Ian Rappaport, and then several Giants beat reporters actually started from Mike Garofolo, who, by the way, before he joined the NFL Network as an insider there, was literally the best Giants reporter in the history of the game. There has not been a better beat reporter than Mike Garofolo. His sources were phenomenal. He only reported tr- things that came true, and he never did the bullshit that like some of these guys do, where they're just not aware of key concepts in football, no understanding of the X's and O's and all the clickbait, like negative bullshit that I see from some of these beats. He was never in that game. And what he said was the Giants have done a ton of work on Justin Herbert, the quarterback out of Oregon. He says they even recently had a big Zoom call with Judge and Herbert and some of the execs and Herbert uh, from the Giants and Herbert. So what do you make of this? I guess buy or sell is probably not the best way to go about this. What do you just make of this report? I feel the Giants have always had interest in Herbert, and he might have been their first quarterback last year, even over Daniel Jones. Does that mean they're going to go and invest a first-round pick in Herbert? Absolutely not. But I do believe that Joe Judge and the front office, they, they're just talking to him, feeling the kid out. Maybe they want to get to know him for if it doesn't work out with the first team that drafts him. They're doing the due diligence in that like. And they're also making it public because why? just to drive a possible trade. Now, I don't honestly feel that other general managers are going to be like, wow, they're doing their due diligence on Justin Herbert. We have to jump them. I don't think they're that dumb, to be honest, but I feel like it was leaked for that, and it gets people talking about the draft, and that's a good thing as well. I'm not going to put any thought into Gettleman selecting Justin Herbert. That is ridiculous to me, but I feel like these teams usually do their due diligence on all these top prospects. The fact that he was on... FaceTime with Coach Judge uh, reportedly a bunch of times. That's something that doesn't happen all the time, I wouldn't say. But I do feel like there has been interest between the Giants and Herbert last year. And then he went back to Oregon for his senior season. And and I feel like maybe later on, who knows, Judge is still the coach here. Justin Herbert doesn't work out wherever he goes. Then he has a little bit more information on the kid from years prior. You can see how he grew, how he used to think, how he thinks now and stuff like that. And I believe that's kind of the Patriot mantra is you do your homework and you kind of exhaust every option you can have. So I think it's more that and it's more about the trade than, oh, yeah, we're not interested in Daniel Jones. And, oh, Coach Judge has never said Daniel Jones's name. Does he not like him? I'm not buying into that whatsoever. Sure. Sure. I think we're on the same page here. Um I think it's a it's kind of a lame attempt to try to draw up some inch drum up some interest to get teams to trade. It doesn't really even make sense to me though, because like I guess they're hoping that a team would trade the three and then take Herbert. So it's just one more quarterback to go before their pick, which is always a good thing, I guess. Um I don't know. It's not gonna work. I mean, they, they, regardless of what Joe Judge has said name wise, like they everybody knows the Giants are committed to Daniel Jones, like for a variety of reasons. Um but as far as the Herbert stuff goes, I tweeted out that 
I'm, from everything I've gathered, it just makes sense because they loved Herbert. And I think that he, I said, I think he would have been the pick last year at six overall, to be quite frank with everyone, if Daniel, over Daniel Jones, if he would, had declared. And Charles Robinson, actually, who dropped the report on this, said that's actually 100% correct. He is the number one guy in the Giants draft board this year, right now. Now, the interesting thing about is that is I, I, I remember he tweeted this last year, last draft process, that Daniel Jones was the top guy on the Giants draft board about two or three weeks before the draft. And I thought it was crazy that they would that there's any chance they would have him over Kyler Murray. Now, looking back, Nick, I feel like that might be less crazy. I feel like the Giants might have actually had Daniel Jones over Kyler Murray on their draft board. In which case, I think it's not as crazy for when Robinson says, I have it on sources because, you know, he was right about the Jones thing. I got to give him credit for that. He was right about it, or at least it seems like either he got lucky or he was right. (laughs) But what he said is that Herbert's actually number one on their draft board right now over Burrow, which is is disappointing to hear if that's the case. (laughs) It really is. It's truly disappointing. I also think it's disappointing to hear that Daniel Jones was number one on their board ahead of Kyler Murray. These are two very disappointing things for me to hear it doesn't bode well in my opinion but i get it it is what they want they don't want you know they want a specific guy at this quarterback position man they want height and size they really believe in it and they've had success with it they had eli carry phil like you know what i mean they've had success with these big arm and 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 size guys and so i totally get it from that standpoint, but you know, I don't think it means anything now. Now that they have exactly drafted Daniel Jones, but I'll say this: if they had gotten Josh Allen last year, I'm pretty sure they would be trading up <laughs> to three to take Justin Herbert, like not taking any chances and firing up the three. And yeah, I don't think you're wrong either, man, because it seems like that love is real. Yeah, but with Daniel really Jones last, like I think a lot of it last year, uh, Pat Shermer was also really high on Daniel Jones, as was David Gettleman, and it all came out in the Senior Bowl that. Dave Gettleman fell in love with Jones at the Senior Bowl, and I thought Daniel Jones' uh, best case to have success in the NFL early on was for him to land in a Pat Shermer type of system, a quick game, uh, West Coast timing-based system, because that's something that he did well at at Duke with David Cutcliffe, even though all of his teammates were never really in rhythm with him because he was playing with guys who weren't going to see anything close to an NFL field. So... I thought Daniel Jones was a fit there. And then now Herbert, you know, Giants are moving to a more vertical base. Herbert has that a much bigger arm than Daniel Jones. He has a bigger arm than Joe Burrow when it comes to just velocity and arm strength. Maybe that's uh, somebody that they think could really press the ball on a Jason Garrett type of offense. But I think it's comical that if that, they would actually entertain that. And it would basically say, all right, Dave Gettleman, you're done. This isn't like a Steve Kime situation or an Arizona Cardinals situation where they're going to bring in a court or a new coach and then, um, they're going to replace our quarterback like they did with Josh Rose. It, it that no, I, I know that's like a cool thing to catch headlines and shit, but I, that's not, I do not feel that whatsoever. Fair enough, Nick. All right, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors before we dive into some of our favorite targets for the Giants on day two at number 36 overall. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking there's nothing to bet on. Well, 
you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That is blue wire, all one word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. All right, Nick, let's dive into some of our favorite targets for the Giants when they are on the board, if they are on the board and they don't move from that 36 forward pick. The goal of this, I was hoping, is to give the fans an idea of some players that you can root for on Thursday night to not come off the board. You can just track with us as we'll be tracking the draft and just be like, let's go, fall, 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 fall. And then he falls on day two, and now we got a shot at him, and hopefully the Giants see it that way as well, and they're one of their targets. So start with your you know, favorite target maybe for them at 36. Yeah, I think uh, our favorite target is probably the same person, and we referred to him earlier on in the uh, podcast, and that's Wisconsin's Zach Bond. I mean, we've talked about him basically since January just going on. I'm sure we probably even brought him up during the season because you're such a big Badgers fan. Bond just coming off the edge, also playing the slot, also playing off-ball linebacker, and the thing I love most about him is his closing burst in on tackles and a physicality that he brings at the tackle point, which is something that really pops up on film and he's just everywhere every game i've watched i ended up texting you being like dude this guy is all over the place the michigan game the ohio state game all these games he's just all over the place and uh i really like everything that he has to offer and we've talked about how his fit with patrick graham is going to be something that's going to be really fluid sort of like in the kyle van noy mold of new england where he can play off the edge he can play in coverage as a linebacker and he can kind of do so many different things you can stack him at linebacker you can put him in the middle you can put him at weak side strong side, put him in the slot if you really have to, which in the NFL, it's going to be exposed against slot receivers, but maybe against bigger slots or tight ends, he can do that effectively. So I, I just really love that for pick 36. I really think he can improve the second level of the defense while also having a high pass rushing upside because he did that in college. Yes, he might not be the the prototypical pass rusher that everybody thinks of when you think of the normal pass rushers. You know, six foot five, long ass arms. He has 32 and three fourth inch arms. That's still not that bad. I, I really like the prospects of him being in New York Giants blue. Yeah, I mean, he's, you're right. He's my number one hopeful, obviously, but I mean, a Wisconsin guy, but it's not just that. Like, I thought that Bond would test poorly at the combine. I thought he was that kind of player, just a guy who's awesome on tape and is a really good football player who's going to be really good, but it's going to test poorly. And he just didn't. He tested out of this world. 10-yard splits off the charts, 99th percentile, but he has, it's across the board, the three-cone, the short shuttle, everything he did, he tested well at. And when you consider that with what you see on tape, it's it's an obvious first-rounder to me. It's like when T.J. Watt fell to 30 and the Steelers stole him, he's one of the best players in the NFL now, and they got him 29 picks into an NFL draft, or 30 picks into an NFL draft. So it's like, I, that's what worries me about him coming off the board, just people watching what happened with Watt and the mistakes they made there. Because it was a similar thing with Watt. You know, people just didn't, even after his brother entered the NFL and he had that going for him, people just didn't see it athletically. They didn't think it would translate at all from an athleticism standpoint to the NFL. And they were just completely wrong on that. Smacked with that tweener role, too. Yeah, same thing with like Bond. Exact same yeah. thing. Like the same thing playing all over again here. So 
Definitely my number one target. My second one is more of a dream, but you never know. Especially because I keep seeing him in mocks fall all the way into the mid-20s. And I'm going to go with Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU. Obviously, those of us in the podcast know I'm considerably higher on Queen than consensus. I have him as the way I value. And again, this is based partially on how I value positions and positional importance, um, which is a big thing for me. I believe a linebacker like him is extremely rare to find. I think he's a Bobby Wagner type. I think that that's like the one that's the comparison I like the most for him. Um, And I think that he is going to be an excellent player to put on that second level of any defense. And he's explosive. He's got it all athletically. In addition to just, you just see somebody with awesome instincts whenever you watch that LSU defense. I know he came up late in the process as a, as a first round potential. I know he's a bit undersized in some people's minds. None of that concerns me at all. I think those are all just things used to kind of knock him down a little bit. And listen, I think if he can be added to that Giants defense after they grab a tackle first, it's a very nice start for me. And I really like that call when it comes to Patrick Queen. I just do think it is glass half full because Queen is a... I look at a lot of those teams picking in the 20s and even teams that don't traditionally draft linebackers like the Eagles say, like I could see them being interested in someone like Kenneth Murray or Patrick Queen. But it would be interesting, man, at pick 36, if either of those two players were to fall at 36. But my guy, my second guy is a center from Michigan, Cesar Ruiz. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he will get there, but again, this, we're going to be a little bit hopeful here. He's six foot three, 307 pounds, has just over 33-inch arms. And at the combine, man, the vertical jump, 33 inches, broad jump, 113 inches. That's 93 and 94th percentile when it comes to explosiveness. Has huge, powerful 11-inch hands that he uses to rock and really utilize grip strength on defenders, nose tackles, one techniques, what have you. And I also think he moves fairly well i think he can get up to second level and he could seal and he has the hips to do that and i'm not saying he has the hips of lloyd cushionberry i believe cushionberry is a little bit more fluid in that sense but i do believe ruiz is a little bit more stronger at the point of attack but he's a good pass protector he's solid against the run and i feel like he could be somebody that can anchor that line for the next what eight years 10 years what, what have you whatever but that's something that the giants really need something they haven't had in quite a while. And I would really like the giants even to double down on offensive line. If they really have to, depending on the value that's on the board, because I do not like the prospects of having Spencer Pulley being the starting center going into 2020. It's tough. It's tough. You know, Ruiz is the guy I came around to late in the process, Nick. Um, I had a chance to watch more of him. Obviously I've seen Michigan football like on the broadcast during the year, but I had a chance to dive a little deeper and I really like how he also has the athletic testing to back it up. That was something that I really thought was important for a player like him as he moves to the next level. Um, and we hope it will translate to the next level. And so for me, even though he's not the exact ideal fit at center, like I will always love if they could get a Frank Ragno type. I just feel like those guys are just so awesome to have at the pivot. But, you know, even if he's more of the pass first guy, more finesse type player, maybe he would be better in his own scheme, but I think he'll be fine in a power gap if the Giants are moving there. I still really like him as a prospect. I still really like the idea of upgrading the center position, a position I think, again, I put a lot more value on than something like wide receiver or something like running back or, you know, even D-back to some extent, especially not D-back, I won't say, but but interior defensive line, I'd rather have a great center personally. Um, not not because I don't want good interior defensive linemen, but because I think you can get them in other ways. We've talked about this on other pods. but So Ruiz has definitely moved up my board as one of my favorite targets at 36, Nick. Here's another one for me that's going to be one of my top targets. I think actually has a, probably a better shot of, of lasting than Queen, but about the same chance of lasting as Bond. 
and I actually think Bond has a decent chance to last, by the way, which I know is not really, um, you know, a very popular opinion. And this would be Ezra Cleveland from Boise State, the offensive tackle. He's another guy that I've really turned turned ahead on, really turned into a fan of deeper into this process. Now he's going to come off the board. People expect in that same range of like, you know, that fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh tackle off the board with Isaiah Wilson types and with uh, Austin Jackson types. For me, I would take him over both Wilson and Jackson any day of the week. Cleveland obviously hasn't faced the best of competition at Boise state, but his athleticism to me is off the charts and it's backed up on film. Like I was saying to you, Nick, I had a chance to finally watch him a little bit in depth and I just see a guy who's really smooth looking in pass production. I know that people think that 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 he has issues there with it with his technique and things like that. And he obviously hasn't been going against the best of um, competition. And, and some people even mention they don't like some of the issues with his ability to bend. Um, that's something I'll probably reserve for asking you about, Nick. But I he he moves like an offensive tackle to me, and he's so smooth and he's so dominant when I watch him. And again, it's dominance against lower competition. So I want to keep that in mind. And I want to, you know, use a grain of salt when I'm doing that, when I'm watching him. But then I compare that to Isaiah Wilson and Austin Jackson, the other tackles in the stream. And I just don't see it at all with those guys compared to what I see from Cleveland. So to me, Cleveland has kind of emerged as one of my top targets for the Giants at 36 overall. Yeah, I, I didn't see somebody who was stiff or not flexible. I saw exactly very, very smooth, very, very quick feet, very good athletic ability. His slide is good, can wash down the line of scrimmage well when it comes to using power on those, you know, uh, blocking schemes that really require that kind of thing. And I thought his push in that sense was solid, but his anchor and his strength at the point of attack are two things that definitely need to improve. I thought his, his hand placement and his pad level were erratic. His pad level can get high, gives up his chest. I have, um, punch tends to be late. I had that circled a couple different times, which isn't necessarily a good thing, but these are things that can be worked on, especially when you think about the fact that he was playing with that really nasty turf toe injury, which could have affected all of these things. But I, you know, the flexibility thing when it comes to, I, I saw somebody who definitely had the hips to, to bend and help you know really get on contact and ride blocks through and bend at the waist and the knees so i don't know what an analyst said that but i i disagree with that yeah i mean I, I also see it that way too nick so he's definitely another guy on my list of player that i'm super excited for to get uh potentially at 36 if he drops i mean he wouldn't be my top target i would take queen over him i would certainly take bone over him there's even another guy i haven't mentioned yet who i would take over him as well um and i probably wouldn't draft him unless i didn't draft an offensive tackle round one if that makes sense like this would be more of a top target for me if they went the Simmons route but having said that if all my other top targets and other defensive positions because that's where I'm leaning all my targets on days one and two are going to be especially day two are going to be defensive players they just cannot simply keep neglecting this defense it is the main reason they're losing football games over and over again so most of the rest of my targets will be there but as far as the offensive targets go Without, if not for Ruiz, Cleveland's kind of it for me. And yet, I really like the prospect of getting him if they go Simmons round one. Yeah, this player that I have, the fact I just do not see him falling this far. But crazier okay. things have happened, especially because he did not have that much production at the collegiate level. And it's 
one of my favorite players in this cla- uh, class, and that's Caleb on chase on edge from LSU. Oh, yeah. I think he's not last. Top- <laughs> nah, he'll be a top 20 pick, yeah. but crazy things have happened in the draft. And sure. no, I do not think he'll be there for 36, but he is somebody that if he was, you run that card up because his athletic ability and what he could provide at the edge position is something that tackles would have to respect and his lateral agility and just movement skills in general are so superb. He can play against the run, even though that's some kind of misconception that he can't play against the run it's just lazy analysis people who didn't watch the film and they see that he's like 250 pounds and say yeah he's twitchy and quick and explosive but he can't play the run he can set the edge he can play the run and he can play in space there's no way he gets the 36 but you know the fact that he did have a devastating knee injury well torn acl i'll say in 2018 which affected his production the fact that he has very limited college production are all things that people i've seen people use against him no one says that he's falling out of the first round but who knows right. what the NFL is going to do and who knows if people got this guy's medicals in check and all those kind of things that people do worry about. So it's a name to look at. I don't think there's a chance, but still, I, I do love this player. No doubt. My next guy is actually someone who shot up my boards. I think there's a strong chance we'll be there at 36. Most people project him to go in the mid-50s. I would take him at 36. I would take him over a lot of players here. I'd take him over Ezra, Ezra Cleveland, who I just mentioned, If especially if they go OT. Probably take him anyway over Ezra Cleveland. And I take him over a lot of guys that people are mocking over him in the mock draft, quite frankly. And that's Willie Gay Jr., the linebacker out of Mississippi State. I know there's a lot of projection there because he's missed games due to suspension. I know he's got a lot to work on as a run defender. I don't know if I care about the run defense. I think they can use him in a specific role where his run defense won't become that big of a liability. And we're talking about a guy who was arguably the best coverage linebacker in the entire college. Uh, Again, limited sample size few snaps due to the suspension, et cetera, et cetera. But when he was on the field, in addition to everything he, he, he offered as an explosive athlete blitzing and, and going sideline to sideline, making plays in that regard, it was the coverage that really stood out to me. I thought he was the best coverage linebacker. I mean, he graded out as the best coverage linebacker in football by far, according to Pro Football Focus. And I think it, it's backed up when you watch him. It's freakish watching him move. He's a freak athlete at 240 pounds. He's just an absolute freak. Looks like a safety. And to put that in the middle of my defense, I love it. And I would love it for the Giants. They rarely get a chance to get these gut players like this. There won't be that many if they don't snap one up with one of these first two picks or trade back into the 36 to 99 range to get Akeem Davis Gaither, who, again, is a smaller prospect than Gay and, and not as big of a guarantee, but someone I like then they're not going to get one of these guys in this draft. They're not going to get an off-ball linebacker with athleticism. I mean, again, Logan Wilson maybe later. You know, potentially that could happen. I kind of feel like he's going to go higher than people think. So for me, Gay is a, is a guy who I love. Yeah, people who are six foot one, two hundred forty three pounds, do not move or explode from their lower body like Willie Gay Jr. And like you said, I think there are a lot of things that he can work out work on to kind of maximize his game he'll over pursue blocks and kind of miss his keys which lead to him over pursuing or under pursuing getting gobbled up by blocks and then just getting washed out at the second level which i saw a little bit too much on film but those things can be worked on the mental aspect can be worked on and i think if he lands in the right system like an attacking system someone like wink martindale in Mm -hmm. baltimore he could be somebody that could be really dangerous as a blitzer and as a coverage linebacker which is something that would definitely scare me if he was in my division and being utilized in that right. kind of way so i have another one do you have another one as well dan i got a couple more so you can hit them and maybe you'll take one of mine 
It might be. And it's uh, a safety. Uh, somebody that Dan and I have both talked about a lot recently on the podcast. That's Ashton Davis out of Cal. Has the single high ability. Has the range. I like his instincts. His ability to flip his hips. Has fluid hips. I do think he gets a little bit wild at the point of attack when it comes to tackling. Which kind of also is uh, compounded, I guess, by the fact that he does take some angles that could be a little bit aggressive coming downhill. And the fact that he kind of throws his body wildly, he plays with reckless abandon, which I love, but he does throw his body a little wildly uh, going in to make a tackle, usually gets his hands on the guy. It's not Grant Delpit out there, but it's it's not textbook kind of mechanics. But I think at 36, I don't even think that's really rich for a player like Ashton Davis. I think if he went to the combine and competed, people would be talking about him in that range. So I, I do like uh, Ashton Davis and think he'd be an excellent guy to roam the center field for the Giants in 2020. Yeah, Ashton Davis. Obviously, you don't have to sell me on Ashton Davis, Nick. Um, I've mocked him to the Giants in my mock, in my most recent mock, my only, you know, my final mock. I love Ashton Davis. I would love him at 36. If I had to rank the order of these guys right now, I'd probably go Queen, obviously the dream scenario, one, Bond two, though I probably, you know what? Bond one. I don't care. Bond one over Queen. <laughs> I, it's crazy, but it's how I feel, uh, especially for what the Giants need. So I'll go Bond, Queen, gay because i really like gay and then i'd probably put up ashton davis there and i could see the case to be made for davis over all of them just based on what he potentially offers the giants the fact that listen yeah he's a single high guy who covers an incredible amount of range back there in the deep half at safety but also he's a really physical aggressive player moving downhill i know you talk about like the tackling issues it's obviously not this technique isn't perfected by any means we're talking about a guy who really hasn't played the position for that long, walked on as a track star, and then basically forced them to put him on the field there. He had no real offers coming into Cal, forced his way on the field first as a corner, and then finally as a safety over the last two years. Um, And so he has experienced a bunch of positions, but mostly what I'm saying is he's still learning a lot of the things about the safety position, but he is so aggressive coming downhill. (laughs) Just You can just plop that guy in the deep half, Nick, and expect him to cover ground. In all sorts of ways. And it's just so impressive to me. I love Ashton Davis. I'd be so happy if they drafted him. Yeah, same here, man. And again, just like you said, there's... Like he's so physical and I love watching it the way he will come downhill on run fits, say like through the A or the B gap. So he's coming right down straight towards the running back. He will get low, lower his shoulder and drive through blocks. And I do love him in that sense when it comes to uh, his technique. But I was more referring to uh, like catching on a slant pass and he's coming from the far hash to go to the angles. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I'm concerning to me, to be honest. Well, again, no, he it's not because he has enough athletic ability to, to right. kind of um, to to ma- uh, fix it if it is a mistake. It's not something that was consistent. It's just something that happens sometimes. And again, I think it's better than Grant Delpit when it comes to coming to balance a little bit. It's just a little wild at the tackle. Point. I don't want to make too much of a deal Delpit. about it. Can't be worse <laughs> yeah, than Grant no, Delpit. He was a guy I considered putting on my list of targets at 36. And I would, after all the names we mentioned, Nick, I'd probably want Delpit. Like if all 10 of these eight, whatever, however, we probably ran through six, seven top targets here. If somehow none of them were on the board, I'd probably want Delpit just at the chance. Because again, he also has unreal range like Davis in the back half. But he, his issues in tackling just really concern me with Delpit. I just, I've seen it too much with just those third-level Giants defenders who can't tackle, and it leads to huge plays. Darian Thompson's kind of scarred me in this regard, and same with Curtis Riley. He would just take the worst angles ever to the football. These guys still need to be run defenders in that bat. If you're going to use any single-eye looks or you're going to use a deep half safety, you need to have him be that third-level run defense. And really, just not only run defense in today's NFL with all the mesh and slants, you need him to be a after-the-catch 
type of defender too to, to really be that safety valve in the in the after the catch game and the run game not just the deep passing game so especially because the nfl these days there's not that many deep passing oriented offenses so really you need these guys to be ta- sure tacklers and for me that just scares me a lot with delpit yeah delpit definitely struggled mightily to say the least when it came to making tackles right when the person is in front of them i it, it was so frustrating I, I've, I've said it enough on this podcast it's yeah something yeah, we've upsides we've there him. though with Delpit. I'm upsides for sure there. Like the range is cr- incredible that he has. He has incredible range. Yes, I've seen analysts say that that his range is just adequate and that like his hips weren't he that is. great and all that. I I don't see that at all. I see somebody who has in- incredible acceleration skills and pretty fluid hips. I'm not saying that they're the best hips ever, but somebody who's definitely capable enough to play single high yeah. and you'd be comfortable with it. If he had his tackling down, we're talking about like a top 15 selection. Yes, there. if he had his tackling down, for me, he's he's top 10, top 15 prospect for sure. All right, last guy for me before we move on to the mailbag segment. He's going to be Antoine Winfield Jr., the five foot nine safety out of five foot nine sub two hundred safety out of Minnesota, the Gophers. Um, listen, I get I get the problems with, with Winfield, the size, the injury concerns. Played only four games, 2017, 2018. but the instincts, man, the instincts when he's in that safety role are just what you, I, I only see from a few safeties over my lifetime. I, it's crazy to say that, and I really think if he had the, the adequate size, he'd be also be a top ten, top five type prospect in this draft. As crazy as that sounds, he's like. I, I, it feels like I'm watching one of these just rare safeties from an instinct standpoint back there. He makes so many plays on the football, seven interceptions, tons of passes defense last season with Minnesota during his breakout year. Has the background. I mean, you you watch, you you read about him just his film study and the the amount of work he puts into playing the safety position. There was a play I saw the other night where he was. He was mo- he was deep half safety and he was following a go route uh, down the left hash and and basically just had the instincts. That's all I could describe it as just the football IQ instincts to kind of reverse his body spin around. It's hard to do this without video, but re- to explain this without video, but he reversed his body spun around to a deep poster or, or like a deep crosser back of the end zone and went off his guy to then undercut and intercept a pass in the end zone on on basically a deep poster or deep crosser type play. And the watching it was just like something that looked like a star NFL safety would a play a star NFL safety could only make. And so there's a lot of plays like that when I watch Winfield. And for me, it's worth the risk, even with his size and injury concerns. He'd be further down my list of targets, why I mentioned him last, but he's also one of the guys I'd be happy with at 36. Yeah, that's what happens when your dad is uh, Antoine Winfield. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, really see, get the right. instincts in football IQ. It's crazy, man. I remember his, I remember like using his dad in Madden when I was like, yeah, like for 10 real. years old. Yeah. <laughs> and then, now his son's funny. Cool. It's, it's not. How the how the hell is he only five foot nine with dad and I can't believe he only got I was like, he got a raw deal there five foot nine height. I want to say his old man was pretty small. Like, he, he was, was like five eleven, like, right? Yeah, but you're expecting to get to at least five eleven. Come on, I mean it would have made such a difference for him. I think. Um, I but, I, I agree. If, if if Winfield Jr. was a six foot and say two hundred and three pounds or something like that, I think his name would be secured in the, in the first round. But the, yeah. those injury concerns, like, you can never rule those out. That's the key thing. The injury concerns really worry me with Winfield. Um, I just don't know how you can't be worried by a guy who played eight games over a two-year span uh, before last season. But anyway, let's move on to the mailbag segment of the show. We haven't done a mailbag in a while, Nick, so let's dive in. I'm going to start with a question from Bobby Madelon. Uh, avid listener really appreciate your support bobby says that the giants traded back 
and got 12 and 19. They pick, he says, they pick one of the top four OT at 12. So that seems like wishful thinking, but let's go along with it. At 19, uh, another top four OT, Queen or Murray are all there. Okay. So then he says, if they took a four, an OT at four, so they were lucky enough to get one of the four offensive tackles at 12. Then at 19, he's saying another one of the four offensive tackles is somehow going to be there. Uh, Queen and Murray, who do you take and why? He says, yes, it's a highly unlikely scenario, but I'm just interested to hear it. Okay, so say they land Andrew Thomas, and for whatever, it's it's not going to happen with, with the 19th pick, but I, I would want to know what else is on the board, Bobby. No, like, we what don't else? need to know what else is on the board there, Nick. He's giving you another one of these top four OTs, Murray and Queen. You want something else? Yeah, well, I I don't want to cut my nose. So I want to look at every other position what? to see what else. Is Caleb on Chase on still on the board? Sure, let's say what? he is. You want Chase on over, over one of these guys? Yeah, maybe probably. for you, for you, maybe over Queen and Murray, you probably have chased on higher than Queen. I bet. I, I do. Yeah, I do. I, I would definitely, uh, especially given the current Giants roster. I mean, edge help is something they need, especially a twitched up edge like Chase on. So, but let's, say, let's just say, just because these tackles fell, Chase on fell. I don't think I would be a, say Jedrick Wills fell. Say, say Laramie Tunsil's situation happens and Wills ends up falling for whatever stupid or reason would be the probably more likely. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because the tra- failed drug test bullshit. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but say say the gas mask situation replicates. Oh, oh you're saying that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Giants went with Wills at four, and now Beckton's there, or or at twelve or whatever. And Beckton's there. I, I wouldn't be opposed to doubling down there at tackle. I know you're going to go with opposed Queen. to it. Opposed to it. What do you mean I'm going to go Queen? I would snap up one of these tackles at nineteen. Of course, I, this is the. Uh, that's what I was kind of getting. No, at no, before. but we. we the Giants went went tackle yeah. at twelve, right? You're damn right they did, and now they got another one, and now they got their oh, two yeah. tackles for the next decade. You know how hard it is to get a tackle. This is like I me. thought you, I thought you were gonna j- jump on no. Queen. For me, it's definitely getting no, a tackle. No, no. I love Patrick Queen, but I'm not taking him over one of these. They could get two of these freaking tackles. Holy crap! It's like the best draft they could ever have. Like I know, even if one bust, they still hit. If one of the two is awesome, like no, 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 no. I'm definitely in in Bobby's uh, highly unlikely scenario. I'm definitely taking an offensive tackle there again. I'm so I'm running to the bank with something like Becton and and uh, Tristan Wirfs or Becton and Wills or something like that. Jeez, can you imagine? Dude, I would love every second of that. Could you? Oh man, yeah. That's the one. If you propose that to Dave Gettleman, oh yeah, you're gonna get the uh, tackle. It's gonna be another, <laughs> I, I, there. Wouldn't be a general manager dumb enough, maybe Bill O'Brien to to turn down that trade. No way. But uh, okay, so. Giovanni Ibera, he's a good friend of ours. We go back uh, on Twitter. And if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong, please call me out for it. Gotta be Ibarra, right? It, it could be pronounced an E, like an E sound, or it could be Ibarra, but I believe it's be Based on your, your track record with pronunciations of names, I would say that I'm right. You know what? I can't dispute that, which is crazy because I'm actually good at pronouncing like NFL prospects. Names. Give me like any NFL prospect. I'm going to be able to pronounce their name. But for whatever reason, the people that I like on Twitter, you know, I, I just can't because I'm a fucking piece of shit, I guess. But <laughs> going on, <laughs> Giovanni says, I know some offensive tackle prospects in the later rounds still aren't refined. But how much do you think the presence of Mark Colombo is going to influence this draft process? Would you guys feel comfortable not addressing the offensive line until the mid to late rounds because of Mark Colombo's presence. And I mean, interesting question. I, um, I, for me, I'm going to say, I love, yeah, go ahead, Nick. 
Yeah, I love Mark Colombo, and I've praised him on this podcast for his ability to develop at least what he's shown in Dallas, which was a stable situation. But no, I'm not comfortable waiting to the mid to late rounds to take a tackle. I think the Giants have to take one early. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm with you. They can't. We we talked about it on the last podcast as part of our draft blueprint, the seven step draft plan blueprint. So you can go back, listen to that if you want, Giovanni. But this is they can't do it again. They can't miss on tackles again. Not with these guys. Offensive tackle classes like this, by the way, are not going to be common. I know we're getting a little spoiled because the past two offensive tackle classes were great. This one even better, considerably better than last year's, which is crazy because last year's was pretty damn good comparatively speaking, relatively speaking. And there's not going to come around all the time. So they got to take advantage of them. They really have to take advantage of them. And that that's going to be this class. So, yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable. But having said that, Nick, there are scenarios where I could see them taking Simmons and then the best player on the board at 36 – it, with all the tackles going that I expect could go is not a tackle or a center. And so it really, I don't, for me, it's not like, it's not as crazy. It's so hard to say. I don't think it's like, so I don't think it's like Mark Colombo's presence is going to influence them at all. I think they're going to just go by their value board. But having said that, I, I wouldn't be comfortable with it, Nick, but I think it's a possible scenario that, Listen, they're not going to be able to fill every need every draft, and they're also not going to be able to fill every need this draft. And you can't just draft for need. So I understand the need is there, but they have to carefully go about this, which is why I think they're so trying so hard to trade back from four and take a tackle because it's the best thing that works with the rest of their board. Exactly. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better because they need to get more picks. They need to replenish some of those holes and you still need to get the tackle. And there's four really good tackles available who will be available in the top 10. So that's the most logical place for Dave Gettleman. All right. Longtime friend of mine, uh, somebody I used to go to summer camp with that I've recently found out maybe a year or two ago, not recently, that he was a big follower of the podcast that was really awesome to hear about. Um, Andrew Silvershine, he actually doesn't have his full name in his Twitter. So I hope that I didn't violate any, you know, any terms of our friendship by, by uh, saying that, but he asked what would be the best scenario for the giants in rounds one to two, assuming there's no trade. So the first scenario for, I'm going to provide for you, Nick, is this wills at four, Zach Vaughn at 36. The second scenario, Simmons at four, Lucas Yang at 36. The third scenario, Simmons at four, Hennessy at 36. For me, it's easily the first, but I want to throw you a quick uh, different scenario. Say Niang didn't have any injury concerns. Sure. And then you go with Wills, Bond, or Simmons, Niang. Which one would you want? Yeah, that's a good way to do it because I'm, I'm going to rule out the, the third scenario at all. I do not like Hennessy at 36 whatsoever. I made that clear on the last pod, and I'm, I'm sticking by that one. I think it would be a pretty bad pick. But as far as that scenario goes, wow, that's, you know— if I'm going to answer no to Simmons Yang, by the way, with a healthy Yang, then I basically should just say I don't want Simmons, right? Because, like, it's crazy. Like, or I just have to avoid tackle again in this draft or hope to hit on a, on a developmental guy because they're not going to be able to get, like, it's tough. If they don't take, if they go Simmons, it's really, it's probably going to be a draft without a tackle that we love. We have to probably accept that. Now, it doesn't mean their evaluation of a tackle could, again, be better than other people's. Remember, Dave Gettleman traded up to draft Taylor Moten in the 2017 draft, his last draft with the Panthers. No one thought Taylor Moten was going to be as good as he is. Or I'm sorry, not no one, but the NFL 
GMs didn't think he was going to be as good as he is. Taylor Bowden should have been a first-round pick based on what we've seen since he started in the NFL. Same goes for Darrell Williams when he landed him in round four. Same goes for Trey Turner when he landed him in round three. So I do want to trust him from that standpoint, but I still think I'd probably prefer Wills and Bond because I really like Bond so much. I'm the same exact way. Even with Nyang's hip saying it, say it wasn't anything, there's still some technical things that could be cleaned up with Nyang, and I actually like what I've seen on tape yeah, from him. Yeah, for sure. But I'm still happy with that. And, and I value Simmons, obviously, above Bond, but I yeah. think I value Wills more over Nyang than to, to kind of even it out, and I would have to go with Wills and Bond. Okay, I'll, so. I'll say this, though, before we turn the page on that one, Nick. I, and I'd probably be more open to this than you, I assume, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. I would be open to the uh, scenario of Simmons and Bond. I don't care. I think you can play both of those guys on a defense all the time. And I don't think you can put, I think you can put Simmons in the slot. I think you can put him a deep half on some plays. I think you can put Bond on the edge. I think you could put Bond on the inside on some plays. So I wouldn't be opposed totally to going Simmons Bond back to back. I'm not opposed to it, especially because when you make that selection of Simmons, you're basically like, okay, well, we're going to avoid the top four tackles, and right. I don't want the Giants to reach on someone like Ezra Cleveland, right. someone that we're not too low on, but if Bond's around, you go with the best player available, and you you draft him because you already kind of committed to the fact that you're not drafting those top four tackles. And by that point, you don't know who Bond's going to be available at 36, but if the opportunity presents itself, shit, might as well, and you draft him there. Okay. Chris Clark says, will Gettleman and Judge gamble on potential and trust their coaches slash teachers to maximize high ceiling, low floor players. Then he goes on. He says, who has a higher ceiling between Ben Barch and Matt Pert? And he has a couple other questions, but let's tackle that first. For me, uh, I, I think Pert, Pert has higher ceiling uh, because he has the length. He just needs yeah. to add the strength. Whereas Barch, I think, is going to be a good player, but I think he's going to be like an Ali Marpet, where he played at, well, he didn't play at Holbar, but he played at St. John's. Barch, I don't think he could play tackle. His arms aren't really long enough. So he's going to probably get stuck inside a guard and be yeah. a solid guard in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, to answer that question, it really depends what you're looking for. I think there's a, a case to be made that Barch will be a better guard than Pert ever is at tackle. But if you're looking specifically for a tackle, then you got to go with Pert. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Pert there. Um, now, just to not glance over his first part of this question will Gettleman and Judge Gamble on potential and trust their coaches I think they're going to continue to draft how they've drafted under Gettleman I think Gettleman's changing his draft process too much I think he feels good about his 2019 draft he feels good about his process for 2018 and I think he'll continue to go there and what we've seen from that process is that they look for very specific traits at some positions the 10-yard split for linebackers for inside backers for off-wall backers the athleticism uh, and underutilization at wide receiver where he found Darius Slayton. And obviously, I mean, at other positions, we've seen a, kind of more of a hybrid linebacker style, you know, not the true 4-3 edge with guys like Lorenzo Carter or Shane Simonen. So I think we'll probably stick a lot to his process there. I don't think there's going to be a change there. Um, and then finally, his thoughts on Antonio Gibson and would he interest fit the Giants? Well, I don't want to Really, uh, well, this this pod's going to actually come out before we do our sleepers pod. But Antonio Gibson, I'll give a little spoiler here, Nick, is on my sleepers pod, on my list for the sleepers pod. I love Antonio Gibson in this draft. I know he does limited touches, but two third, 239 pounds, the 4-4 flat, and just the explosiveness I've seen on those limited touches. I think someone said today, like, his missed tackle per touch number is, like, astronomical, like, breaking the charts. It's so good, his missed tackles. Uh, sorry, forced missed tackles per touch 
metric. So if you want to talk about freaking upside there, uh, through the roof. So yeah, I think he'd interest Giants. Yeah, I think he'd fit the Giants. They can if they were smart and they and if Garrett steps up to the plate. They'll be able to use him on jet sweeps. They'll be able to use him on the backfield sometimes on third downs to spell Saquon Barkley on design pass routes out of the background. I think he can be a slot receiver for them before in no time. So, so yeah, I, I'm certainly interested there. As am I. I think Antonio Gibson is somebody, yes, he doesn't have the production and he has limited college experience, but just – if you look at his numbers, the guy was so efficient and he maximized every single touch. I mean, he averaged 19.3 yards per catch. He averaged 11.2 yards per rush. They used him at running back in the slot. They used him as a receiver. They used him in so many different ways. And we've seen Jason Garrett offenses do this in the past with the Cowboys. He did it with Tavon Austin this past year. And I've been kind of banging the drum for the Giants to find somebody like this a little bit later in the draft, somebody like a JJ Taylor from Arizona, somebody they could pair with Saquon Barkley and kind of create mismatches against nickel defenses where they have these linebackers who aren't as even close to as athletic as another running back and Saquon Barkley. So I kind of like that idea. And when it comes to Gibson, I I think, I think you've nailed it, man. I think he's going to be somebody that is going to be, uh, high floor player in the NFL, especially if he lands in a system that can really get him the ball and move him around and use him kind of like Debo Samuel was used for the 49ers. Okay. This one comes from Patrick Chamberlain, another longtime supporter of the podcast. Thank you, Pat. In the past that he says in the past, the giants have drafted to find replacements a year in advance for players entering the last years of their deals who they may not retain. And they've already kind of decided that. Any players in that position this year who who might see their replacement drafted? That's an interesting question. Different. I think it's a very interesting question. I think we saw one drafted last year for Jabril Peppers. If they don't pick up his fifth-year option, Julian Love might be able to fill that role. And then uh, I look at Evan Ingram, whose fifth-year option hasn't been picked up. And I know they have Caden Smith. They brought in Levine Toilolo. But you're still looking for an athletic move type of tight end who can line up in the slot. And I think that – that's not really available in this draft. So it's not really a course of action, but that's definitely something I look at every, every year going into the draft is what replacement can be drafted and who somebody who might not be on the team the next year and will be entering free agency. Do you have anybody in mind, Dan? Yeah. I mean, those are the two obvious ones I would say. Um, (laughs) They drafted an IDL. Maybe that means they won't resign Dalvin. (laughs) Really just, I hope they don't use a pick on an IDL until day three at the goddamn earliest, but they go that route, maybe there. Um, I think it could be said that if they draft a big edge early, that could be the end of Lorenzo Carter. I don't know if that's true, but he's also kind of coming up soon on the end of his rookie deal. This will be the third of four years there. Um, so that would be two years in advance, per se. Um, and the same thing goes for wide receiver with Golden Tate obviously running down towards the end of his contract. I think this will be his last year with the Giants. Um, and then obviously, you know, you can't really totally fully count on Sterling Shepard right now. But I do want to mention the Evan Ingram part here, Nick, because I think I'm in the minority here. I don't know where you stand exactly, but some rumors have started to surface again. Ingram could be a trade target uh, for the Giants. Some teams are looking to get him, the 49ers. I don't like it. I'm against trading Ingram. I understand the injury history. I guess everybody just keeps pointing to that. Um, I'm pretty injury agnostic, Nick. I think he could get lucky and have a no injury year anytime soon. I think anytime soon he could have a no injury year. Remember, Prince of Mukamara was way more injury prone than Evan Ingram, or at least on par with the Giants, and then barely didn't, basically didn't miss a single game in four years with the Bears. So the injury thing is to me, for the most part, overblown and a myth. And 
you know, you don't want to miss out on a full 16 year, 16 game year out of Evan Ingram because the Giants aren't going to find anyone who can do what he can do right now on the offense. They're not going to find anyone who has his rapport already with Daniel Jones, and they're not going to find anyone who has that much upside in a Jason Garrett offense that has in the past utilized, best utilized tight ends, um, especially from a vertical standpoint. So for me, I'm out on the whole idea, unless obviously like we're talking about premium draft picks. From, from what I've seen, Giants fans want to trade Ingram for like a third or a fourth. I'm not about that whatsoever. And again, we one of the big reasons why we were really excited about Jason Garrett coming over to the Giants was, oh, wow, he could really maximize Evan Ingram, something that you could argue Pat Shermer did not do. And you could maybe attribute some of it to being injured, what whatever, but I— I don't think Shermer really utilized him as a vertical threat, stretching the seam and all those things. It was like little hitch passes, little curls, little drags and stuff like that. So I think him with Garrett, if he is healthy, is something that I'm willing to kind of roll the dice on and not trade him, especially if it's for something later, like you said. Yeah, if they're offering the 49ers, I think it's the team that's been linked. Why would they trade a premium pick for a backup to George Kittle. That doesn't really make any sense. So I think the Giants have a decision to make on if you pick up that fifth-year option. That's the decision, not to trade them. You have them play this season out no matter what, in my opinion. Yep, no doubt. Um, all right, Rob. Rob Erwan, a big, a long-time listener of the podcast, one of the original listeners before your time, Nick, when we used to have Turchin and me do this thing, and it was like episode two or three. We had probably only had like four or 500 listeners at the time. Rob Air One was one of them, and he says, if Gettledum takes Derek Brown at four, will I, A, burn my New York Giants gear, accept the Lawrence Taylor jersey, B, drink two gallons of bleach, or C, punish myself further by becoming a Cowboys fan for one year? So I'm guessing there's no D here, my no. man Rob. I say don't burn the Giants jersey because the Giants jerseys, I don't know which Giants jerseys you have, but you know what? It, you can't take it all out what what Dave Gettleman does all out on an old Eli Manning jersey or something like that never burn the LT jersey the drink of two gallons of bleach I mean you know there is a virus going around and maybe that can help clean it but I think it's going to kill you and uh the punish myself further by becoming a Cowboys fan one year I mean that might kill you too because you're giants (laughs) through and through Rob so you gotta you gotta come up with some more options you gotta make it yeah I I would need an option D here as well how about Brian (laughs) who wants to know our thoughts on if by any chance the Giants pick at four isn't Simmons, would it be Young or one of the top O-linemen? If it's not Simmons, it would be one of the top O-linemen, unless Chase Young were to fall to the New York Giants at four. But I, I just I don't see that uh, happening. I think Daniel Schneider, the owner of the Redskins, is fully in bloom love, and he doesn't want to give up on Nick. Yeah. It's Dan Snyder. Don't get it wrong, because I've already had to deal my entire life here with be people tweeting at me, angry about the Redskins. I've had like 12 to 15 of those tweets come my way, just people screaming at me, cursing me off, not realizing I'm Dan Schneier. Again, Dan Schneier versus Dan Snyder. To me, there's a big difference there, and I want it to be noted. I didn't say Schneier. I said Schneider. Yeah, it's not an S-E-H. I, I should have. Right, I should have. You know what? I shouldn't have kept Us this. Us S-E-H's don't want to be uh, at all, you know, so. <laughs> I'm not the only, listen to this. I have a cousin in my family. And and by the way, he's a big, he's become a big listener to this podcast. And his dad, my uncle Steve is an even bigger listener to podcast. I've shouted out uncle Steve before. I'll shout him out again anytime. And believe it or not, Nick, I'm the Schneiders in our family. And then we have another group of, of Schneiders in our family that are unrelated. So uncle Steve is, is my mom's sister's husband. And my mom was a Lowenstein, and so was his, her sister. And then my dad is a Schneier with no D, and my uncle is a Schneider 
with no D, with a D, I'm sorry, no relation at all. So neither of us want to be associated with Dan Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R. He's a horrible human being, a terrible owner, and just nobody likes that guy. And we don't want to be associated. Yeah, I definitely added a sh, an extra sh in there. I was only one sh off. I don't think it was the most egregious thing ever. But yeah, no, Dan Snyder, is that better? Yeah, you know what? Listen, I may be a little oversensitive about this one. I'll admit it, but you know what? I'm happy to get it. I'm happy you got it right, Nick. Thanks, man. You know it means a lot. But All yeah, right, now get it. Freaking question. I think he's in full bloom love with uh, Chase Young, and I don't think he wants to give up on Dwayne Haskins. And it just seems like they're going to add another really talented edge to pair with Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, and Deron Payne, who's a big interior defensive lineman, and just. Really probably ruin the Giants' um, offensive line for the years to come. But, yeah, I don't think Young will be there. I have a question here from Paul Rubin for you, Dan. Today, Gettleman said the offensive tackle group is deep and that he isn't afraid to take multiple players at the same position. If he takes Simmons, do you feel he might take a center and or safety early and take a couple of tackles mid-draft? It's kind of similar to a question we just had. I think uh, even if Cesar Ruiz was uh, if Cesar Ruiz is there at center or at 36, I think the Giants might go in that direction and then pass yeah. the tackle. But I just don't think the Giants are making that decision to prioritize Simmons right now. I think it is the offense, the top four offensive tackles that they want to bring in. So I, I don't know if they're going to run into that that decision. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, let's do this one. This is interesting. I can't believe Andrew Andrew Owens. You nailed this on April seventeenth. Not many. I, I don't want to spoil too much here, but he says, "What are your thoughts on the versatility of Calvin Throckmorton?" And will he be there in the fifth round or later? I think he will be in the fifth round later. And another spoiler hits this pod, but he's one of my sleepers for our sleeper podcast. I'm really intrigued by Calvin uh, Throckmorton. I don't think he could be a tackle at the NFL level, but I'm almost happier about that because I think he can be an awesome center and he has played there. And I think that that's the guy I kind of want at center if they keep, you know, if they don't get Biotish, who I really like, or Ishmael, who Nick really likes out of San Diego State. I almost like this guy more than Ishmael, by the way. And I... I've, I I don't want to go too into it. So let's just say yes for now and listen to our sleepers pod to hear more on Throckmorton and our thoughts there. But he has a couple other questions we can dive into. I hear the tight end class is not very good. Andrew Owen says, what are your thoughts on Josiah Degara as a, as a long-term tight end? I'll just start by saying I don't know him well, haven't studied him, not going to get to every player in this draft. Nick, do you have any thoughts there? He was down at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I also have not seen any film on him. I had a little exposure at the Senior Bowl. I wasn't really paying attention to the tight ends down there. But from just little things that I saw, he just looked like a a big body that was – that could create a little bit of separation in I think I think I remember him uh, winning a rep, but that really doesn't mean shit. So I I can't really give much to really uh, really help anybody out. I haven't grinded this tape. Yeah. Okay. And then – Finally, what receivers would you take round four or later? We'll also do that probably on the Sleepers podcast. So, um, And also, if you want to hear more in depth, we kind of went over that big time on the Jordan Reed podcast we did earlier this offseason. So we talked a lot of receivers there, round four receivers or later. So definitely check out the Sleepers pod, and we'll, and we'll hit you up, and we'll, and we'll definitely dive into it there. All right, you want to go over our guy Nemesis's question? Sure, dive right in. Here we, here we are. Who is your plan B at offensive center, tackle, free safety, wide receiver, or edge if plan A isn't if plan A isn't selected? This isn't necessarily your next ranked at each position. Example, Winfield Jr. is plan A at free safety. If they don't take him at 36, my plan B is Chris Miller late in the draft, even though he's not my next free safety nemesis. I, not to cop out of this, and Dan, I might uh, not be speaking for you, but this is probably something we're going to really hit on the next podcast with the sleepers. 
Yeah, this is this definitely more for the sleeper pod. I will say this, as far as your example goes, I don't really see that many deep half safeties I like later in this draft. That's one of the few positions I haven't really found many sleepers at. I see one guy who I like, but I think he's going to have to convert to corner. And then I see another guy I like, which we'll get to again on the next pod. But again, I think he kind of has to convert into the slot. So I don't know there, but we'll, we'll talk more for each position for sure on our sleepers pod. Yeah, I 100% agree. That's people with a lot of range that they don't, they don't fall far because it's a very rare trait to find. Exactly. Exactly. They're not going to fall very far at all. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter podcast. Obviously, we really appreciate your support. Today's pod was a little hodgepodge. We're going to have more content coming every day up until the draft. And then, of course, during the draft, we're going to be diving in. And then finally, after the draft, where I finally get a day, I'll finally have a day off, which will be nice. Uh, we're going to do some some definitely post-draft recap coverage. I do want to say a special thank you to all those of you who have taken the time to make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. To those of you who have downloaded each podcast, that gives us a better chance as well. And then finally, those of you who have rated and reviewed us, we have some new reviews coming in that I was going to read because I really do appreciate that. One is from... Uh, is from Juice Busto, which is a funny name. He says, thoughtful, in-depth analysis. I love this podcast. I've listened to a lot of them. While remaining optimistic, this pod also gives the le- the lowdown of what's happening with Giants and Shed Light on the X's and O's with thoughtful analysis. Thank you, man. Uh, I hate Cowboys gave us a review, too. A pretty good five-star review as well. He says it's the top Giants podcast. He's a retired Giants fan, so he has the chance to listen to all of the Giants podcasts. And he said, this is by far the best one. So that's music to my ears, Nick. I love to hear that because this is somebody who's actually listened to all the Giants pods. Um, and I feel like we have the best Giants pod out there. I'll say that. But I haven't listened to many other ones, to be completely honest. I don't have time for that. So I'm just kind of going off of your guys' opinion. So I'm happy to hear that he says it's unbiased and in-depth content that he enjoys the best. He says the coverage today is something I only could have only dreamed about back in the 70s. My only complaint is that you don't put out new episodes seven days a week. Keep up the outstanding work and go Giants. Well, the good news for you is I think you left this one on 420 yesterday, but we will be dropping. Uh, you know, we have been dropping five, almost seven days a week recently, and we're going to keep pumping out uh, content as long as the draft goes. So thank you to everyone who left reviews and ratings. That really helps us a lot. So I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do that for us. Uh, On that note, we will speak to you soon. We got more content coming in the following days. We're almost here. The draft is almost here. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.